Good morning. Uh, let me just add my welcome to you this morning. I'm glad to see you here this morning to worship with us. And, uh, we hope that it's a, a real experience of worship in which we, uh, as the scripture says, reflect on the mercies of God in view of God's mercies, Romans 12, 1 says. Uh, in view of God's mercies, we offer our, body, offer our bodies our living, a living sacrifice, which is holy, pleasing to the Lord. This is our spiritual service of worship. And so that's uh, what we are here to do this morning. We come every Sunday at International Bible Church to have a family meeting to participate in that reflection of that thing that unifies us, which is the grace of God in Christ. I also want to just say after the service, in case you're new, uh, after the service we have a time of fellowship, a time of uh, refreshment, coffee, cookies, cakes, uh, and the best refreshment is the fellowship we share in the family of God. So uh, we want to invite you to stay for that. We'd like to get to know you a little bit if we don't know you already. I'd like to invite you to uh, get a Bible and turn in that Bible to the text we're going to look at today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have lots of spare Bibles, and you can find one on the table back there, and nobody's going to look at you sideways. There's no reason to be embarrassed if you need a Bible. If you get up and go get one, that's a good thing to do. And in case you are using one of these handout Bibles, uh, the page number is 569. That's where you can find this text, and I'm going to just read it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The Lord bless the reading of his word. I imagine that uh, you grew up in a family. Some of you are still growing up in a family. Well, wait, not some of you. Uh, you might even be older than me. A few of you are, not many. And you are still growing up in a family. You're part of a family. You, 
you have parents. Even if your parents have long since passed away, they still have a great influence in who you are. Some of you grew up in different kinds of families. I'm looking around the room. Some of you grew up in farming families. That's one kind of family. Some of you uh, grew up in the families of really busy business people. Some of you spent a lot of time with your parents. Some of you didn't get much time from your parents. Some of you grew up in sports-loving families. Some of you grew up in what I would call bookworm families. My family was more in the bookworm category than the sports-loving category. And not that those are mutually exclusive, of course. Some sports-loving families also love to read books. That happens. Can be, really. Uh, we all grew up in different kinds of families. In fact, here in this church, one of the things that distinguishes fam one family from another is what country were you in when you were growing up? Uh, if I look around the room here, we were growing up in at least five, and I think six or seven different countries. And the, the culture in which your family lives has a very significant effect on what family life is all about, doesn't it? Different families in different places speak different languages and do it differently. Some of us grew up in families with two parents. Some of us grew up in families with one parent. It's possible some of us grew up uh, not with either of our parents, our natural parents. Some of us may have been adopted. Some of us grew up in one-child families. Some of us grew up in, I don't know, there might be somebody here that grew up in a family with 11 or 12 children. So you have a lot of brothers and sisters. My mother is 18 years older than her youngest brother. That's a lot. That means she was pretty much grown by the time he was born. I'm uh, in the middle of my family. There's five of us. I'm the third child. That, wait, that's a three, yeah. I'm the third child of five, uh, which makes me the most well-balanced of the five of us. Just, just so you know. I, I shouldn't say too much, you know, about how much better I am than my brothers or sisters because some of them might even be watching this right now. Hi. Uh, I'm the third one of five, and uh, the five of us were born, all five of us, between... 1957 and 1963, so that's a six-year period to have five kids. So we're like close together. My mom is has there's 18 years between her. She's the oldest and the youngest. We have six years. So 
Also, when we were growing up, we, we were in a military family, so we were moving around the country a lot. The longest I lived in any one place until I went to university was, I think, four years. So we moved around a lot. So what that meant was my brothers and sisters were my friends, my playmates. The other friends were temporary. Those were my permanent friends, still are. That's a lasting effect. Well, here's something we can say about every one of the families we grew up in. There's something wrong with it. Something wrong with it. I had, a, I think, a pretty blessed childhood. I had really good parents. They were both believers in Jesus Christ, and they taught us the gospel from before we were born, I think. And uh, that is a blessing you can't compare but they weren't perfect. I think about it, you know, when I was born, my, I think my mom and dad were like 25, 26 years old. Now I think, how much does a 25 or 26 year old person know about raising kids? Well, they probably read a lot of books about it, though in those days I don't know if there were that many books available about it, but uh, you know, they studied up probably. But most parents, you know, they really don't know what they're doing. Wait, now if you're a child here in the room, I just want to say, your parents know what they're doing. And you know what the Bible says? It doesn't matter if you're a child. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. If you want to obey the Lord, you have to obey your parents, even when they don't know what they're doing. Well, anyway... All of us need a better family than the one that raised us. All of us. No matter how good it was, you really need a better one. Because people are fallen, broken, confused. They don't get it right, even when they're trying to get it right. And most of us don't always try to get it right. Sometimes we just do wrong because it's the thing we want to do, even if we know it's wrong. So all of us need a better family. Well, guess what? If we are in Christ, we have been adopted by God himself into the family of God, and we have a better family. It's called the church. Oh, my goodness. Wait, the church is the better family? What? Oh, that's a bit disappointing. Churches? Wow, churches have all kinds of problems, don't they? How well do people, how, do, how well are we getting along in church? Sometimes. Well, also, the church is made up of a bunch of us who are, you know, broken, confused, don't know enough. Sometimes we know too much. Sometimes we have fights and arguments. Churches split over the most trivial things. 
How's that a better family? Well, there's one way that's a better family, and it's absolutely the most important thing that could possibly be. It is the family of people who have been reconciled to their Father God by the sacrificial ministry of the Son, the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his sacrifice, he reconciles us together, according to Ephesians chapter 2. He reconciles us together and makes us one people and then reconciles that group to God by the blood of the cross. Praise God. And so we have a new father. And that father perfectly cares for his children all the time. We have that expression, right? God is good. What's the second half of that expression? All the time. Why do we have that expression? Because we look around and it doesn't seem like it. And so we say that to one another in order to remind us that it's true when it seems like maybe it's not. It is true. God is good all the time. He always provides everything his children need all the time with perfect love and perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom. We trust that. And so because we trust that in Christ, that that is true, because we trust that, we are the tribe of the one little word, Abba. We are the family of the one little word, Abba. And today I want to start, we're only going to start, I think, looking at this passage in Ephesians, which has so much to tell us about growing up in the family of God. And that's what we're doing. I'm almost 60. How'd that happen? <laughs> I'm almost 60. And I come to God as a child. Jesus said, this is what we looked at last time, right? Jesus said it, if you don't come to God as a child, you don't come to God. If he, he said, if, <laughs> well, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is only for children. Now, it's funny because in this text, in Ephesians that we just read a moment ago, he says, so that we may no longer be children. So we're going to have to figure out how it is we can be children and no longer be children at the same time. How is it that Paul is not disagreeing with Jesus, which he is not? But we'll come to that. So I want to take a look at this passage. It says that God gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up. That's growing. The building up of the body of Christ. Until we all, until we all and each, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The text literally says to a mature man to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. If you ask who are we growing up to be, the answer is Christ. And the first thing we notice here is that each one of us has a role to fill. I, you know, I did some reading recently uh, in the realm of sociology of families because I was thinking, what's a, what is a good, effective family? So I went just looked up what people have studied this, figured out. You know, one of the things they've figured out that in effective families, each person has a role to play. And those roles are vary by the individual. Uh, uh, you develop a sort of identity within your family. Uh, <clears throat> and each person each, the mother has a role, the father has a role, and each of the children has a role to play. And that's the way it is in the family of God. That's what this says. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Gave them to who? To the church. To the family of God. And they have a particular role, which is to equip the saints. And each of those four groups of people has a particular role in that role of equipping. And here's what you find if you read the Bible about the body of Christ. That's not just true about these four groups of people. It's true about every last Christian. It says in 1 Corinthians, God placed each one of us into the body according to his desire. And he gave each one of us a gift and he gave each one of us as a gift to the church. So you are not here, even if you're just here this morning, even if this isn't your regular church, you are not here by accident. And if you're a member of our congregation, you are not a member of our congregation by accident. The scripture says, even though we go around making our decisions and we decide to take this job and move to that town and go join that church, it, the scripture says, God places us in the family of God. He places us where he wants us. So wherever you happen to find yourself, you are there on purpose. And God has a purpose in it. God put each of us here to provide something to the rest of us. Let me say that again. God put each of us here to provide something to the rest of us. And by the way, that's obviously a reciprocal relationship. If he put you here to provide something to this body of Christians that happens to be gathered here this morning, then he put all the rest of us here to provide something for the rest of us, and that includes you. There's also something he intends to give you 
in that relationship. Even if you're just here today, God has some purpose in that, some reason you're listening to me speak this morning instead of your regular guy. Some reason you're sitting in this congregation that has nothing to do with me. Some reason, some person you're going to meet today that's going to provide something to you from God. You might not be able to identify what it is. Doesn't matter, he's still providing it because you need it. Because he's our great good father, Abba. And we are the family of Abba. Now, he says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. This is like saying he gave us older brothers and sisters. Here's what I want you to know. The authority does not lie here. It lies in the word of God. It it comes from God. The elders of this church are sheep leading the other sheep. The shepherds that are present in our fellowship of believers here are sheep acting as shepherds. So we shouldn't get too uppity and you shouldn't get too high an idea of who we are. We're nothing like, we're, we're like a big brother. We may not be a whole lot smarter than you. We are not your father. We are not your father. So what I can give you is advice. I can give you something I've learned from the text of God's word, but it comes from God. He's the father. So, uh, yeah, don't think too much of me. If I'm of any value, what I'm providing to you is something God has provided to me so that we can share in the fellowship of the body of Christ. You know, the word fellowship means share. Just means sharing. Why doesn't God hand out all the gifts evenly to everyone? He doesn't, you know. He gives one person one thing, another person a different thing. He, gives, he makes one person fabulously wealthy and lets another person experience deep poverty. He lets some of us have more food than it is right to eat. And some believers in the family of God this morning are going hungry. Maybe somebody even here. Why doesn't he hand out all the stuff evenly to everyone? Why is he so unfair? Now, some of you are parents, right? And you know all about this word fairness, which your children demand and you refuse. Why do you refuse it? Why don't you give everything you give to one child to all the other children? Well, some of them aren't old enough. I remember when my big brother got a pocket knife, that was not fair. I'm telling you, it wasn't fair. How come he gets one and I don't? Well, because he's 12 and you're nine. It's really that simple. And then when it came to my little brother, it's because he's 12 and you're nine, 
and nobody would trust you with a pocket knife. Sorry. It's true, though. My, my little brother was, well, I shouldn't talk about him, you know, but he could be a little hot-headed, which the others of us enjoyed. So, you know, I could beat up my little brother's teddy bear and get my little brother really going crazy. This was like five years ago, so don't worry. Well, why aren't you fair? Because not everybody has the same needs. Why doesn't God make us all exactly the same? There's a deeper answer. It's not just because one person needs this and another person needs that. It's also because we become participants in the distribution of God's wealth of love. In other words, one of us might be richer so that he can be the one God uses to provide for those who are poor. One of us has this gift, so he provides this gift, and the other has a different gift, so he provides that. Somebody comes in here and cleans this place and sets up all the chairs. I don't do that. Trust me, you don't even want me doing that, because it would be a mess. They have a gift they share with the rest of us, why, why don't we all have that gift? The point is the sharing. The point is the sharing, the fellowship, the expression of love. If, I have, if you and I have all the same things, I don't need to give you anything. You don't need to give me anything. There's no need for sharing. We all just get it from God. But God doesn't want just to love us. God wants us to be the people who reflect his love to each other. And so we have a variety of gifts, and each of us is a gift to the body. You brought something in here today that the rest of us need. Do you hear me? You brought something in here today, just because of who you are, that the rest of us need. It might be as simple as a smiling face. It might be as simple as a frowning face. It could be anything about you or everything about you, but something you came in here with today, the rest of us need. Each one of us is a gift to all of us, and if you read this text, you will see that we connect with each other to serve each other for the building up of the whole of us, the, the community of us, the strengthening of that community, the growth of that community, not me growing, us growing. Of course, if we grow, so do I. We connect, we serve, and then we grow. And we have a family identity. Do you see it at the end of this text? We have a family identity. That's true of our, fa our natural families too, isn't it? We sort of become a certain type of family. My father's family, we'd call it the Searles. And that would mean something. If you knew us, that would mean something. 
wouldn't just be a name or a label. It's also a certain character, a certain identity. We may not be able to describe it, but it's real. But in any case, what's our family identity? We've been using the word Abba as our identity. We're the family Abba. <laughs> That's who we are. We're the people who look to God in faith because of what Christ did. And we do so because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the very nature of God himself that indwells us. We have, in fact, become uh, the family of God in Christ. We were in the family of Adam, and now we've been moved to the family of Christ. A whole new family with a whole different identity. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love. That relationship, that Abba relationship we have with God, we share with each other. Love. Jesus said, to his disciples in the last supper conversation that we read in the book of John. He says, little children, huh, that's what he called them, little children. What's he saying? You know, when I said only children enter the kingdom, you're children, you're the little children. You relate to God as little children. He says, yet, a little while I'm with you, you'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. A new commandment I give you. What's the new commandment? That you love one another. Now, what's new about that? What's new about that? Doesn't the Old Testament law command us to love one another? I'll tell you what's new about it giving it to this group of people. That's what's new. What's new about it is the family of God is being formed in this little circle of disciples. That's what's new. It's not that love is a new thing or the love of God is a new thing. It's that now the love of God is to be shared in the fellowship of the body of Christ. A new commandment. It's new because he's given it to you. It's new to you. And we know that in this context because he says, the new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You hear it? Just as I have loved you. Where does this love get learned? I'm telling you, you did not, you might have seen examples of it, but you did not learn it from your family. If they know it, they got it from somewhere else. As I have loved you, as I have loved you, we learn love from Christ. You realize 
not the world. The world has a thing it calls love. The world knows what we mean when we say love. But the world has worldified, I'm sorry if that's not a word, love. So that love is self-serving, except if it's self-serving, it's not love. But the world's love is self-serving. It's give and take. God's love is just give. It's all give. It's 100% give and no take. God has not involved us in the church in a give-and-take relationship. Now, we end up giving to God, but he doesn't need it. He already has everything anyway. What's he going to take? It's already his. It's all give. It's grace upon grace. We grow in the grace of God by faith. We trust him. We are his children. He provides for us. We don't provide for him. You have never provided God with a single thing. It's not possible. You might have given some money in church. You might have provided for the ministries of the church. Except when you did it, God was doing it using you. You didn't give it back to him. It's it's like like C.S. Lewis, he... He created this expression, sixpence, none the richer. You know, what I'm, you know the expression I'm talking about? And nowadays we have to talk about it like a, not sixpence because nobody knows what that means. It was a coin, an English coin. Let's talk about, let's say a nickel because that's worth about a nickel, a sixpence. Only the English could have six of a thing in a coin. I don't know how that works. But... Uh, let's call it a nickel. And suppose your son, your five, six-year-old son, wants to give you a Christmas present or a birthday present. How's he going to do it? He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have any nickels. Where does his nickel to buy you birthday present worth a nickel how does it where does his nickel to buy you a birthday present come from you gave it to him what's the value to you of him giving you a nickel birthday present well I'll tell you one thing it's not the present itself it's the fact that because you have loved him and provided for him he wants to show that too And so he buys you a present with his nickel that's really your nickel. So who's buying you this present? Are you richer? Mm, Depends on how you measure. You You have shared a relationship. That's the point. You have experienced the reflected love of your son. And that is what God experiences from us. When we bring an offering, it's not about the money. God has all the money already. It's not about the money. It's about the love. It's about the 
because God has been generous to me, I want to be generous. This is the family identity. We learn love from Christ. What is the love of Christ? You know, 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know love. Christ died for our sins. I would point out a few things about that sort of love. It's intentional. He didn't do it by accident. He says, nobody's taking my life. I'm giving it. It's unconditional. It doesn't depend on how well I receive it. It doesn't depend on whether I love him back real well, because I love him back really badly. But he loved me first, without any preconditions about how I would reply. It's unconditional. Oh, and he doesn't take it away if I'm not good at it too, thank God, because if he did, none of us would have it. It doesn't depend on how I do with it. It's just mine because he gives it to me unconditionally. It's sacrificial. He died on the cross to love me. That was necessary. He had to give his life a saving penalty, pay it for me so that I can be forgiven and reconciled to a holy and righteous God. So that I can call God Abba instead of enemy that I dread. I can run to God and not away because of the sacrifice of Christ. His love is sacrificial. But it's not just sacrificial for no reason. Love, when we share it in the church, I'm, I'm not just making sacrifices. I'm making a sacrifice in order to provide a benefit. I'm saved because Jesus made his sacrifice. His, this love benefits me for real. So, you know, the, the martyr syndrome is not appropriate in the church. To, you know, get everyone to pay attention about all the suffering I'm doing for everyone else. If it doesn't do anyone good, it's a worthless sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice does us all the good possible. The, guy, the Romans says, if he gave us his only son, will he not freely with him also give us everything? I'm rich. No matter how much money I have in the bank, I am the son of the one who owns all things. And so I have everything I need all the time, even when it feels like I don't. Even when I'm like, eh, I don't have any money. I'm, I'm, even when I'm having headaches because I don't know how I'm going to pay for my food the next week, I'm rich. And God is letting me experience those hardships for some reason that is for my benefit and if I knew what he was up to, I'd ask for more. That's what, Paul, what James is talking about when he says, count it all joy when you encounter various hardships. This love is intentional. 
He did it on purpose. It's unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's beneficial, and there's one more thing that's extremely important. It's incarnational. The Son of God did not love us from heaven. God's love to be fully experienced by us became us. And this is why the church meets in person. This is why a telephone conversation is not the same as a face-to-face conversation. A text is not a conversation like it is face-to-face. The very presence of people together matters. Now, I'm not saying texting is bad or telephones are no good because they make conversation possible when face-to-face isn't. And that's good. That's better than the, uh, the alternative. But if you're sitting next to a person and texting them, come on now. And when we gather together in church, there's a reason we shake hands. We hug each other. We look each other in the eye. We read facial expressions. That is That matters. That's real. The love of God didn't make a call. It showed up in person. So in the body of Christ, as we grow in the family of God, we express this love in person. It matters whether you're here. You bring something here that the rest of us need. And God's doing all of that on purpose. What you bring might be your own needs that we're supposed to observe and that God is going to serve through us. (coughs) Each one of us (coughs) has a role to fill. (coughs) We are the family of God. (coughs) And our identity (coughs) is in Christ, in the love of Christ. We're the family, Abba. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this love that we share. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to grow in it. We recognize we're like children and we don't always get along like we <coughs> like we ought to. Sometimes squabble over really meaningless things. ask you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Help us to remember who we are, to reflect your love into each other's lives in every way possible. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.